yeah, for me as a white person, I I don't want the reaching back to be a disavowal of responsibility for the hundreds of years of white settler colonization that I benefit from and and part of and perpetuate and to hold that complexity alongside there was a time when my people were not yet part of that Beloved listeners, this is Adrienne Marie Brown, writer of stories and songs, witch, gardener of ideas, healing ideas like emergent strategy and pleasure activism, based in the land of the Lumbee, Shikori, Spurure, Tuscarora, and Eno peoples. And this that you're listening to is How to Survive the End of the World, our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace rigor, and curiosity. When I say our, I'm calling in my beautiful sister, who is an Aikido badass, whose knee has recovered and she is back on her Aikido mat, Um, but she's currently on sabbatical. So in her absence, and in honor of my book, Fables and Spells, I'm going full witch this season and having conversations with my favorite witches and teachers and reading you little bits and pieces from the book. Now, when I say witch, I mean people who work with elements of the natural world, including our human nature, to generate more possibilities. We are engaging the essential world with magic, healing, and supernatural intentions. This includes shamanism, sorcery, seeing, healing, herbalism, midwifery and doula labor, Reiki and root work, conjuring, ritual, spellcasting, astrology, divination, sound baths, all the ways we build a direct relationship with the realm of the ancestors and the spirit, the holy, and ourselves. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you know that we don't we don't have sponsors, we don't have a big funder behind us, and we don't do ads. Um, and no shade on anyone who does. It's just not how we do it. I like to be able to just make the offer based on um, the listeners wanting to support it. So we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com backslash into the world show. And if you like what you hear, become a patron. Now, our guest today, I'm really excited because in some ways, um, Michael, you were one of the inspirations for doing this season, which is hilarious. So it's hilarious to me because then my sister had to remind me like, <laughs> is Michael actually scheduled yet? And I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, a Virgo needs a lot of help these days. So my guest today is Michael J. Morris, who is co-witchcraft offerings. And um, Michael does all kinds of work that includes astrology, tarot, yoga, breath work, Reiki, um, ritual practices, um, with a background in dance, yoga, and physical practices. So a lot of it comes through the body. And then the way I have interacted with you a ton has been in this online virtual space where you basically make offers to guide us through the changes, guide us through the seasons, guide us through what the stars and the sky and everything is telling us about our lives. And you are are someone who's very publicly emergent strategist about how you do your offerings. So I've always just felt deeply aligned (laughs) with you and really excited Mm -hmm. to be connecting with you today. So I always like to just start off with how Mm -hmm. are you right now today? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I am overflowing with gratitude to be in this space with you and to connect Mm. with you. I have always felt deeply aligned with you and your work and your work with emergent strategy and pleasure activism, Mm -hmm. but also holding change and we will not cancel us, but also this podcast. Like I've been, this podcast has been a lifeline for me since 2017. (laughs) And so Uh I, and then we had an opportunity to meet in 2019 at the American Studies Association conference, which was like a really pivotal time in my life in shifting my relationship to academia and eventually leaving academia and making this work, this witch work, my full-time practice. Congratulations. So gratitude is top (laughs) of the list. I'm also feeling Mm. 
a lot of awareness mm. that we're recording about 12 hours before the exact equinox, before the sun moves into Libra, which in the Northern Hemisphere marks the start of autumn. And I always mm. feel like I come alive in the autumn. It's my favorite yes. season. There's something about the leaves changing, the nights growing longer, moving mm. toward night, toward darkness, toward shadow, um, the temperatures dropping, and just mm. having the opportunity to observe this sacred time of the equinox. So many witches and so many traditions recognize this time as sacred, where the light and the darkness are in balance, but we're moving mm -hmm. toward the night. But also we're celebrating the harvest, both the literal harvests of farmers bringing in the crops, exactly. but also what we're harvesting in our lives. And so I'm feeling into a lot of that right now. Mm. I'm also thinking about the moon. The moon is at the end of Sagittarius right now, making a square yeah. with the sun. So it's crossing into the waxing quarter lunation phase, which is the light half of the lunation cycle. And so there's this interesting thing. The sun is moving further yes. into shadow today, and the moon is moving further into light today. And so there's something really interesting to hold there, I think, as we, and all of that's happening, you know, right mm. now as we're talking. Right now, as we're talking, I know I had a moment this, you know, I keep, sometimes I'm really, really aligned. Like I'm like, oh, here's everything that's happening. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, it's happening. And I can feel the changes happening. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily even know why. So I woke up this morning um, mm -hmm. and I've been going through this grief cycle for my, my beloved friend, Evans Richardson, the fourth and we took a major step in that grief cycle this mm -hmm. past week and did a memorial for him. And then we were doing my, my a friend came home with me from the memorial and we mm -hmm. really sat still for most of the week. And at a certain mm -hmm. point I realized we were kind of sitting a Shiva, like we were sitting in, in real deep honor of life and death and the portal and the transitions and the rhythms and and then we reached the end of this week and my friend left and I was sitting here today like, okay, mm -hmm. Virgo season has ended or is ending and the equinox is here and mm -hmm. I'm ready for a new season. Like there's a big closure is happening and the fall is also my season. You know, it's my birthday season, which I think a lot of us tend to have that kind of like, um, alignment mm -hmm. with our the time that we arrived on earth and so it's like oh this feels like home <laughs> you know but I also just I mean like I'm really big into like the first day of school and the first day of a new job or the first you know get your new supplies together and then like let's have a brisk outdoors and like a warm drink and I I live in a I bought this home and when I moved in here mm. there's a fireplace but it wasn't working and the people who own the place who are renting it to me were like, don't use the fireplace. And I was like, okay, um, I won't use the fireplace. Maybe it doesn't work. Long story long. I just had these like cute chimney sweep people come out. Southern chimney sweeps. Okay. It's a vibe. So they came in there. Like, okay, ma'am. Like everything here is just working great. Actually, you just got to move this little damper over here and you just got to turn this and then you're going to have a little fire. It's going to keep you nice and toasty. And it was, I have a fireplace for the fall and I'm just mm -hmm. like, all is right in the world, you know, in the grand scheme of all is wrong in the world and all is right in the world. And this is a mm -hmm. small right thing, which is I'm about to be writing next to a fire mm. all fall <laughs> and I'm just like really geeked out about it mm. and really grateful to be here with you and learn with you and yeah it's so interesting to think of that when we met each other in 2019 it was such a massive transition you know it's so wild to me to think know. like oh we didn't even yeah. know what was coming and so so many people in 2019 mm -hmm. it was like this transition started that was like for many of us, I think is one that was like, it needed, it's the transition we mm -hmm. needed to be in in order to be ready for what came, right? So I'm like, oh, I had let go of all these things and I mm -hmm. felt almost fully available for the spiritual work of 2020. My main job now is to feel this and to be with my people feeling this and surviving this mm -hmm. and in this, you know? 
Um, but yeah, so it's deep to think about like what happened in 2019 mm-hmm. as the like the way that the you know there's that energy that the wave pulls out before the tsunami comes in. Mm-hmm. Something it felt like that a little bit, like everything got pulled out and like that doesn't if that's not what you're supposed to be doing, you better not do, be doing it because mm-hmm. <laughs> we got something else for you to handle. Mm-hmm. And now you're full time witching, so full-time here we are. Witching. So I am grateful. I know I use the word witch. And with a lot of people who come on, I'm like, okay, but do you feel okay with the word witch? But with you, I know you do. (laughs) So maybe you can tell me instead how you, how you chose the language Mm. of witch or how you were chosen by the language of witch. Mm. Yeah, I do describe myself as a witch among other things, as well as, as you said, like an astrologer and tarot reader and dancer and writer and educator and facilitator and most of the time all of that feels like my witchcraft feels like part of Mm. what it means for me to be a witch i Mm. think broadly i think of a witch as someone who um well practices witchcraft and by witchcraft (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) like i never considered that (laughs) right so then it's like so then what is witchcraft and i think it's someone Mm -hmm. who crafts both self and world through an understanding Mm -hmm. of our embodied relationality by which i mean i think that a witch understands that we are not separate from this world from the air and the fire and the water and the earth of this planet from the visible and the invisible forces of this place in its becoming Um, That we're not separate from one another or from our ancestors or from the moon and the sun and the planets. And so then with that awareness that we are not Mm. separate, then we live as witches, we live co-creative lives, making our way through this world with and in all of these relations. And so then how do we do that? I think a witch Mm -hmm. has to be devoted to paying attention to perceiving and engaging with this living world of relations, a world that is insistently so much more than human in ways that honor that we are always already part of this place, part of this planet, part of this cosmos. And and knowing that as we do that, as we perceive and as we engage in these relations that actually compose us, we are of these relations, that we Mm. live differently when we do those things. So that's what I mean Mm -hmm. by crafting ourselves and our world or the world, which is so related to emergent strategy and (laughs) being a part of shaping change or coming Mm -hmm. into right relationship with change through these practices, which we'll probably get into like, well, what are these practices? How do we do this? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But it also makes me think of Grace Lee Boggs teaching us that we transform ourselves to transform the world, world. which doesn't mean that witchcraft is only about um, self or like it's Mm -hmm. only self-care or personal transformation. But if we have this abiding understanding of the ways in which we are composed of and woven into all of these relations with the world, then every time we craft a ritual or cast a spell or practice astrology or read tarot or meditate with stones or ingest flower and stone essences or even just go for a walk with an awareness of the world around us. And we are changed by that. If we truly believe and understand that we are part of all of this, then as we are changed, that change, those effects affect the, the world that we're a part of. That's right. I think that's part that's of right. what I part of what I mean by witch. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. and then there's also this historical dimension as well, of course, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. when we dig into the history of the witch, it's a history that's largely defined by persecution and oppression yes. and suppression, yes. most notably in the witch trials and the burning times which span more than 4 centuries from the 14th to the 17th century. And the Mm -hmm. witch trials marked this concerted effort between the church and the state to eradicate folk healing practices, um, to control sex and sexuality, especially Mm. the bodies of women, but not only the bodies of women. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also to suppress or eradicate relationships with the more than human world that were inconsistent with an emerging industrial capitalism. 
And so in some sense, I think to call oneself a witch is to align oneself with this long lineage of those who, yes, were persecuted, but also who resisted. And so there's this almost feminist dimension of being a witch, I think, that's implicit in claiming that word. And so how did I come to that word? Well, there's a long story of how I came to witchcraft, but why that word continues to be resonant and relevant in terms of describing myself, I think it's all those layers. Yeah, I really appreciate that. You know, I think that I've said this before, I think, in this space, but it really feels like an act of resistance to do anything that shines a light on our witchcraft Mm -hmm. and our witchy lineages and to say that it's okay if there's different words for this thing. Um, What's not okay is to continue leaving people with a murky um, misunderstanding of what it is or a frightened misunderstanding of what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like a lot of the people that you most look up to and that you most learn from and that you um, feel the most ground in, Mm -hmm. right. Are it's because of these practices where we're intentionally saying, yeah, I'm, I am constantly paying attention to how I'm building relationship to this world that Mm -hmm. we live in. And then I'm offering from that place, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so everyone has a different journey or a different way of turning towards this work. Mm-hmm. I would love to know if you can remember, right? What were some of the first things that drew you to this path? Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a couple of stages or phases in the cycle of what brought me to witchcraft. I mean, some of my earliest memories are with my twin. We had extremely vivid imaginations. We spent a lot, mm. hours and hours and hours in make-believe spaces. And uh-huh. I think that that really um, prepared us or cultivated a deep sense of mm, committing ourselves to or devoting ourselves to something that other people might say isn't real, something like that. Um, which of course involved things like making made up little potions with flowers in the backyard and things like, you know, things a lot of children do, or I think a lot of children do, at least we did. They do. They do. And then there's also, (laughs) we were raised in this extremely evangelical conservative Christian family. And where were you? In Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Baton Rouge. Deep South. Mm-hmm. And which, you know, in a lot of ways, I experienced as deeply painful and repressive, um, especially as I came to understand myself as a queer person. And mm. also, there are dimensions of that. Like around the time we were maybe like 10 or 11, we started going to churches that where there was a lot of speaking in tongues and laying on of hands mm. and anointing people with oil and doing what was called spiritual warfare. And in a lot of ways, I think that gave me a kind of consciousness of um, practices that dealt in a more subtle realm, I'll say. that. And there's some irony to that. that There's a way in which my conservative evangelical Christianity kind of prepared me for a path of witchcraft in certain ways, but also steered me towards it. Because I think in those years where I was coming to terms with my queerness, mainly in high school, I started, that's when I really started exploring witchcraft, mainly through books Uh in that I could find in the school and public libraries, like sneaking off into the stacks and finding the witchcraft books and reading (laughs) those. Here's one. Here's one. Yeah. Here's the secrets. And I think, you know, in my adult consciousness, when I look back at that period of like, why? Why was I drawn Mm. to witchcraft in that time? I've come to understand that I think that I already felt forbidden as a person as a queer person in this Christian family in the deep South of the United States. And so I think I went in search of other forbidden places, really Mm. looking for belonging, looking for where can I exist if I can't exist in these spaces? And witchcraft is like probably one of the top of the list in terms of forbidden places. Yeah. And then I went to a small Christian college in Jackson, Mississippi for college And it was during my first year of college, I found a little metaphysical shop called New Vibrations that became an important sanctuary. Yeah, (laughs) it it became such an important sanctuary for me. Um, And Mm -hmm. that's 
I, I wouldn't say that, I can't say that it only existed for me, but it opened the year I moved to Jackson and it closed the year I graduated. And so like I mean, it really existed for the four <laughs> years that I needed it to. And that's that was the place where I started taking classes on tarot and starting wow. to build relationships with crystals and rocks and started building out my library of books to support my practice and sourced a lot of the materials that I used for rituals and spells at that time. And then in all of that, I was also majoring in dance. Um, and so I was dancing all the time. I was becoming a dance artist. I was coming to terms with my queerness. I was deepening my magical and ritual practices and starting mm -hmm. to understand myself as a witch as I defected from Christianity. And so there's a, a lot of ways in which those threads of witchcraft and dancing and queerness have always been deeply entangled for me, really from the start yeah. and continue to yeah. be in my practice. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to think back to that time of the, the moving towards the forbidden, um, because yes. that really characterized a lot of those early years of witchcraft for me, of exploring something that was forbidden. And now my witchcraft feels like it's what connects me to freedom. It's what yeah. connects me to healing and liberation. And it and when I think about that contrast between the forbidden and freedom, it makes me think of something that Marquis Bay writes in Black Trans Feminism. Um, they write, how radical do we wish our conception of freedom to be? Which is to say, how radically free do we wish to be? I know we want it, but what will it mean to actually be that free? A freedom that is less concerned with unfettered access to things once forbidden, and way more interested in what has never, ever been an option. And I think maybe that's part of how I orient towards my witchcraft now, is yeah. making possible what was never even made an option. That's and right. how do we make those possibilities more possible through our magic, through our ritual, through our spells, through our communities, through our relations, and so on. Yeah. You know, I love this so much, Michael, because I I I think all the time about when I'm meeting people and I'm like, what are their boundaries on your imagination mm -hmm. for yourself, mm -hmm. for your life, for your community, for our species, for our time? What are the boundaries on your imagination? Because to me, I'm like, oh yeah, when I was younger, I was given these beautiful stories of human existence, but they were the only stories, you know, mm -hmm. um, they were the only stories and they were reinforced by everything. And so to think, even to begin to feel yourself, think outside of those stories feels so taboo. Mm -hmm. And it feels so like, I'm really doing something naughty. I'm really doing something wild out here in these streets. And then it's like, Oh no, I'm becoming more myself. Mm -hmm. And um, and then the universe is constantly affirming to me that, yes, yourself is not only possible, but it's what we long for. Yeah. Like the whole universe longs for you to be yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how I know that transphobia and homophobia and all these things are are misguided ways of being in relationship to what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, you think there's a right way to desire because of how you desire. You think that there's a right way to present yourself because of how you do it. Mm -hmm. You think that there's a right way to be in relationship with God because you pray on your knees mm -hmm. and you think these things, but what the world is constantly telling us there's other ways. Yeah. So you have many, many, many practices. And I wonder, are there any of them through which you feel like you're in a formal lineage mm. or are most of them ones that you feel like you know you strike me as more of an intuitive witch mm. like someone who kind of has found and gathered and added stuff to your bag um but yeah i'm curious about that like are there formal lineages that you see yourself in the line of who are your ancestors in this work yeah there definitely are and can i respond a second to what you just said before that question of course i just i'm so moved by the idea of the whole world, the whole universe longing for yes. you to be who you are here to be and who you're here yes. to become and the ways in which magic or witchcraft 
we could define or describe as coming into an alignment with that desiring, that longing world, which yes. like brings me into a really um, mm -hmm. relational space, a really erotic space, a really yes. ecosexual place to like be in the longing with the world that wants you to be who you yes. are here to be. And it makes yes. me think of Audre Lorde saying or writing, I am who I am doing, doing what, what I came, I came to, do. to do. You know, Michael, that's on my alarm. Like I have this little alarm system that gives me like little black feminist wisdom throughout the day. Love it. Um, <laughs> I just decided to use my alarms that way. And that one is, that one is a quote that comes every day around five o'clock mm. because as I reach the end of my day and I'm like, have I done enough? Did I do enough? Did I make everyone happy? It's like, just remember I am who I am doing what I came to do, yeah. doing what I came to do, yeah. which no one else can do. And, and there are patterns inside of it, mm -hmm. which are miraculous, which are like, oh, like, you know, in this time, particularly, right, where I'm like, oh, we have become ourselves so beautifully and so brightly mm. that there's backlash, mm -hmm. right? There's this backlash and the backlash would, would try to confuse us to right. think that we don't deserve to exist or there's something unnatural. But what I love is how in the face of that backlash, we get bigger, bolder, mm -hmm. wilder, freer, um, and just more beautiful. Mm. You know, when I see how queer and trans people are protecting each other, when I see how people are protecting each other's reproductive rights, mm. when I see how people are still making sure that kids get, you know, the basic educational skills they need to navigate this world, when I see folks spreading the gospel of the wisdom of those who have come before us and said, we deserve to be free, it it it's just like, oh, that's bigger mm -hmm. than this backlash and it'll yeah. last longer than this generational hate. And that's good news. <laughs> it's so remarkable that you're framing it that way because when we're recording this literally tomorrow, I'm speaking at a World Astrology Summit about the generations of transgender liberation movements wow. through the cycles wow. of Saturn and Uranus and Pluto. And like, so I've spent, <laughs> been spending a lot of months deep mm. in this practice of like, oh, we've come from somewhere. There are whole yes. generations of people who have insisted on becoming more than they were told they could be. Yes. And then resisted and refused the imposition of state suppression and the criminalization of desire and and presence, the criminalization of presence, which like, and exactly we're seeing this backlash right now, which is precisely yes. why I started this research when I was invited to do this this presentation, yeah. it was wide open, like any kind of world events you want to talk about. And I was like, well, I want to talk about the fact that there's over 500 pieces of anti-trans legislation being introduced yes. and debated and put into law in the United States right now. And I want to understand that astrologically. And so I yeah. started with like, well, when did, when did we see this exponential surge of anti-trans yes. legislation? And it was in 2021 when Saturn in Aquarius was squaring Uranus and Taurus. And so then I just started going back to like, when were mm. the other Saturn-Uranus mm. configurations and what did they align with? And so that's a whole presentation for another day. But this- That's so exciting. It is exciting. And, and, like, and, and to understand that this moment of this backlash is not only part of a much longer story in terms yeah. of movements for liberation, for queer and trans liberation- yeah. But it is also part of even bigger, longer stories in the cycles of the planets that we can understand, we can hold this moment yes. inside of the much bigger cycles that the planets offer and describe for us. And mm. yeah, so. so, well, it's, you know, it's, it's thrilling. Part of what I've been riffing on and thinking about lately is that why, why do we need these identities that are non-binary, post-binary, intersectional, interwoven, complex in this moment. Mm. And it's been such a beautiful thing to me to be like, oh, you know, like if I bring, I'm like, oh, trans identity, like what does it, what is it bringing in, which mm. we need in the world? And it's like this idea that the best of all of us can exist in one space, mm. the divine masculine, the divine feminine, the divine beyond all of it can all exist in one body, in one lifetime, mm. in one 
love relationship in one story. And that feels so exciting to me. Like even then it, it turns my lens inward to myself Mm. that I'm like, Oh, what if instead of having to choose one tendency for my existence, I know that all of these tendencies are part of my existence Mm. and it, it, and I will move through them in a given day in a given moment. Um, I've been really leaning into relationships that invite my complexity mm-hmm. and invite more of me rather than wanting me to play a role that puts me at opposition to my lover. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we could just go down that, that but Oof. do that presentation and then let me see that presentation. <laughs> I feel the aliveness of it. Um, <laughs> so and for now, lineage. <laughs> well, I think actually there's, I maybe I can build a bridge yep. because I'm like, we didn't just sprout up wild, right? right. Right. Like what you're saying is like, there's been, mm. there's a transit history. Mm-hmm. There's an astrological relational history. There's a celestial bodies wanted us to exist history. Mm-hmm. There's all that. So maybe from that place, you can tell us a little bit of your, of the lineage that has allowed you to become yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, this is such an important question to me because I think I exist with an awareness that nothing that I do or practice or write or teach or conjure comes only from me. Yeah, There are countless generations of traditions and practices that shape me and the work that I do. And whenever I practice, whatever I practice, all of those countless others are present in that practice. Mm. Um, and I guess I would say that I exist at the confluence of many different lineages. Um, uh-huh. There are my ancestors of blood and path and possibility. There are my lineages of witchcraft, my lineages of astrology, the lineages of tarot that I'm a part of, lineages yes. of dance, my ancestors, and the ways that I am in a yoga lineage, my Reiki lineages, my lineages yes. of feminism and academic lineages. And that is all way more than we can possibly get into today. So maybe mm-hmm. I'll Maybe I'll focus on the things that we've kind of already named as part of my journey in terms of witchcraft and astrology. Like maybe that's enough in terms of like the those lineages <laughs> that I sit in. Yeah. So in terms it gives of, us two threads to pull. Yeah, just right? two threads, knowing that they're woven through all these others as exactly. well. Um, so the witchcraft lineage, I don't have to start this way, but I it does feel like my blood lineage, my blood ancestors are relevant there um, because mm. almost all of my... Um, ancestors that I have through both genealogy that goes back to about the 1300s, and then as well as like DNA testing that I did through 23andMe, all like 98, 99% of my ancestors come from England and Ireland and Scotland and Wales. So very like white European. Concentrated. Yeah, very you're, concentrated. You're white in these concentrate. little, yeah, these little <laughs> islands like... right off of Europe. Like that's where mm-hmm. almost all of my people come from. And wow. so just I want to put a little pin in that because it feels like it comes back into the story at a certain point. So when I first started exploring witchcraft in high school and the first year of college, I was really drawn to women who were founders of witchcraft traditions in the United States, Um, Mm. specifically the work of Phyllis Curat, who is the founder of the Ara tradition, which was founded in the early 1980s, and Starhawk, who was the co-founder of the Reclaiming tradition and who has been on the show. Um, And that was founded in 1979, both Mm -hmm. of which we could consider as earth-based traditions, which draw on more eclectic sources, including Wicca, and core shamanism as taught by Michael Harner, um, feminist yep. consciousness raising groups, um, uh, feminist and environmental activism, the work of the theory tradition with with um, Victor and Cora Anderson, Dianic witchcraft, which was taught by Z Budapest. Um, mm. And so from that introduction to Phyllis and Starhawk's work, um, I went on to train for several years in the Ara tradition, um, in the Temple of Ara, and I mm-hmm. continue to work with a coven that formed out of those years. Um, the work that we do together is still very rooted in the Ara tradition. Um, and then I've uh-huh. been circling in ritual with Starhawk for many years at this point. I think it started with her magical activist trainings in right I after Trump that. was elected, or maybe it was before mm-hmm. Trump was, maybe it was leading up to the 2016 election. She was like, we got to do something. And so she started doing these online rituals and training people in magical activism. And so I yep. did that for a long time with her. And then 
Um, she also held um, rituals for the Sabbaths throughout the wheel of the year. Um, that mm-hmm. I so I've been I I had been inspired by her work for over a decade before because of her writing, because of her books, and then because of the magic of the internet. Then it was like I'm in ritual with Starhawk now for like yeah. going on ten years of like being in ritual with with Starhawk online and these big online spaces. Mm. Um, so that's really where the kind of two main threads of my witchcraft lineage, and the p- reason I wanted to name my blood ancestors is that both the Ara tradition and the reclaiming tradition have really deep roots in Wicca, and uh-huh. Wicca is a formalized witchcraft religion that was introduced by a man named Gerald Gardner in the mm-hmm. 1940s and 1950s in England. Gardner claimed to have been initiated into a coven in the 1930s, which he believed to be a surviving pre-Christian witch cult that had all, went all the way back to pre-Christian Europe. Um, and his formalization of Wicca and the way that he taught it and talked about it was really an attempt to revive what he believed to be a pre-Christian pagan religion. And, you know, now we've yeah. had like historians and anthropologists kind of dig into that and be like, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And so Possible. the way that I tend to talk about <laughs> Wicca is that it is it has both actual, mythical, and aspirational roots in indigenous mm. earth-based spiritual traditions of Europe. Maybe some of these things we practice in these witchcraft traditions are things that pra- people practiced thousands of years ago. And maybe, maybe some aren't, but they're inspired by our longing uh-huh. to connect to what we won't have in- we don't have any surviving traces of. So there's an imaginary or aspirational reaching toward what would people have done in their relationship with the earth before the colonization of Christian- Christianity into Europe. And so it's just, I didn't know anything about my ancestry as a high school student when I was starting to read these books in the libraries. But Mm -hmm. it is interesting to me that of all of the traditions that I might have gravitated toward, I gravitated towards these traditions that have roots in the same part of the world that my ancestors, my blood ancestors come from. And that's interesting to me to kind of see that Mm -hmm. kind of circuit close or come back around. I have to say- on that tip, you know, as a mixed race person, that learning about the witchy lineage of European ancestry has actually been a a way to be in relationship with that ancestry Mm -hmm. that has, I won't say lifted the burden of whiteness, but it really has made, given it more complexity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's given it like, um, it's not a space of, of only oppression, but also, you know, there's been self-oppression mm-hmm. and there's been self-liberation. There's been resistance movements within mm. that, um, that system. And there's been a deep and indigenous relationship to mm. land and to the elements Yes, that it's not like, it's not like that never happened for folks with white lineage. It's like that, that happened. And then the repression and oppression was so intensified mm-hmm. that, something else got codified as the concept of whiteness. And so, you know, as the concept of whiteness that has been codified falls apart, it becomes really exciting mm-hmm. to uncover, like there's actually a path for white people yeah. that goes all the way back into the dirt and into the land mm. and into the the cycles of the movement and, and all of it. It's like, you're not outside of that, Yeah, you know? I yeah. feel so resonant with that. I I think mm-hmm. it's yeah, for me as a white person, I I don't want the reaching back to be a disavowal of responsibility for mm-hmm. the hundreds of years of white settler colonization that I benefit from and and part of and perpetuate and uh, yeah. to hold that complexity alongside there was a time when my people we're not yet part of that. That, yes. that, as you said, goes back to the pre- dirt, that goes back to the mm-hmm. elements, that goes back to the cycles of the moon and observation of the sky. And what does it mean to hold that alongside the white supremacy that, in fact, in addition to being like wildly oppressive to so many people in so many parts of the world, 
no. also is part of what severed us from that. That yes. that what you just described in terms of like what has gotten codified as whiteness, part of its function was to sever us from those roots. And so exactly. to rebuild those ties in again, in actual mythical and aspirational ways, is in some sort of mm-hmm. project around mm-hmm. whiteness and white supremacy and what else is there while we also take responsibility for dismantling white supremacy, both and, yeah. And all. Yeah. Yeah. And so alongside all of that, then there's my astrology lineage. And I guess the reason I'm focusing on that is because it's mostly my full-time work. Like My days are really full of astrology, yes, even though astrology. my witchcraft is bigger than only astrology. Mm-hmm. It's what I do most of my days with myself, with other people. Um, and it was during my first year of college that I started reading horoscopes for the first time. I started re- reading Rob Bresney's Free Will Astrology. Rob Bresney, baby. Isn't it? Right? <laughs> it was it, it was like, he was such a pathway for so many of us. So many. He was, they, they syndicated him in the Jackson Free Press in Jackson. And I would go to the little artsy oh, coffee wow. shop and I would get my Jackson Free Press and I would read my horoscope. And, and I was reading for my sun sign at that time because I didn't know any better. And yeah. then I bought my first astrology book sometime that year. Um, and it was from a used uh, bookstore. And I think it was Isabel Hickey's Astrology of Cosmic Science. Um, and I I think astrology at that point, for me, I had a very mm. superficial understanding of it. But part of what I think it was giving me was some sort of resource with which to begin to understand and embrace more of my own complexity. You are not uh. just one thing. All of these planets are part of you. All of these signs are part of you. Mm. I didn't yet know how, but just the opening of the awareness that like there's each of these forces or factors or archetypes are part of who you get to be, I think was part of what started pulling me toward astrology. Um, yep. Then I went to graduate school and astrology was really on the back burner for a while because I had other stuff to study. Um, but I did buy more <laughs> astrology books along the way and I would read them anytime I had free time. And I continued to pay attention to the lunation cycles for ritual purposes that had been part of my practice since my first year of college. Um, but it wasn't until 2014 that a friend of mine, a dancer friend who was performing in a piece that I choreographed, um, showed me my chart for the first time. Um, and that's when I really started studying astrology. I started buying whatever books I could get my hands on, really not knowing what to read, just like, this looks interesting, this looks exciting, and just trying to deepen my studies. Then I started taking online courses, online workshops, first with Channing Nicholas, um, which then led me to online workshops and classes with Demetra George, who's Channing's teacher, who then became one of my teachers. Um, mm. And then I started listening to the astrology podcast and read Chris Brennan's book. And I took his Hellenistic astrology course and his professional astrologer course. And then eventually started taking classes and doing mentorship with an astrologer named Kelly Surtees of okay. Kelly's Astrology, who I now work with. Um, and so I really consider Kelly and Demetra and Chani and Chris to be my primary teachers, all of whom practice forms of traditional astrology. And so yeah. my practice, my astrological practice at this point, I would say that I am a queer feminist astrologer and my astrology is grounded in Hellenistic astrology, which goes mm-hmm. back about 2000 years. Mm-hmm. And then I bring in some modern techniques. I work with a lot of asteroids, which we didn't really know about most of them until the 1970s. Right. Um, right. But they're a way of bringing myth into the astrology work because most of the asteroids or many of the asteroids are named after deities and goddesses and gods mm. and divine figures and forces. And so even though the use of the asteroids is a very modern technique in terms of astrology, yeah. the way I use it is to connect us back to these ancient stories that are woven through our lives. And yeah, I think mm. for me, that's a big part of what astrology even is, is this, again, building relationships. Um, for me, it's an ancient art of looking at the skies, the stars, the planets, the sun and moon for movements and cycles and patterns with which we co-create meaning in our lives. Beautiful. And that's like the basic premise of astrology is that we can learn more about ourselves and our lives and our potential from looking outside of ourselves 
yes. and examining our situation within a universe that is much more than human. And it's all about connection. It's all about relationships. But because before we ever even look at a chart, part of the foundational understanding of astrology is that we were in relation with these yes. planets, these stars, this moon, all along. Yes. Before we ever before we ever even see our charts, just the very assumption or the understanding that we were in relation is what makes astrology even possible. Yes. And then astrology, I think also one of the big medicines it gives me, and again, this is like before we even look at a chart, is that it yeah. invites us into more slowness, I think. Yes. Um, when we go outside, when we watch the sun or the moon or the stars making their way across the sky, we drop into a different temporality, something that is far slower and deeper than the relentless acceleration of late stage capitalism or mm -hmm. the nine to five workday or the 24 hour global news cycle or social media, like all of these things that are pushing mm -hmm. us towards acceleration. And it makes me think of um, something that uh, Adrian Marie Brown wrote at one point in <laughs> Emergent Strategy, Adrian wrote, there is such urgency in the multitude of crises we face. It can make it hard mm. to remember that, in fact, it is urgency thinking, urgent, constant, unsustainable growth that got us to this point, and that our potential success lies in doing deep, slow, intentional work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the starting point of astrology too. Mm -hmm. I hope it's okay that oh. I quoted you to you. <laughs> I was like, you're going to quote me to my face. And I, I just, I expected at some point that would happen <laughs> <laughs> with you. I don't expect it with most people with you. I was like, it's probably going to happen. And I love it. And I love this way of thinking of astrology. It feels so generous and it feels so grounding, which is, you know, I think often the opposite of how it's perceived, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, this like woo woo flighty astrology it's like actually it's how we understand our place yes. in the universe yeah. and it's from here on earth to be able to do it that's here on earth i think that's part of what makes it grounding it's like it's not yes. detached up in the sky it's like no. it's about it's from, from here, here looking what up. can we see what can we feel and yeah. how do we relate to all of it um i love everything that you broke down and i feel like you it sort of helps me it skips the next question in some ways because it's like what are all the things it's like i do tarot yeah, i do astrology right. that's what my life is actually about so it makes me want to ask you what witchy skills do you wish other people had mm -hmm. in this apocalyptic time like if you could like cast a spell and like everyone was in this practice or everyone was up to this skill mm. Mm. i mean the first thing that comes to mind is i wish I would love for more people to have more access to the felt sense of our own bodies, which mm -hmm. is, I think, fundamental to my magical practices, but which is obviously also a part of things like dance and yoga and somatics and all kinds of other embodied practices. Yeah. And so then like being able to feel what is going on as this body that I am inside of that, I guess more specifically, I would love if people could feel could access a felt sense of being composed of relations, that ah. they could feel into the ways that they are part of the earth and the sky, that they are in relation to the elements. They could mm. feel in their bodies this air, this breath. Mm. I love that. <sighs> yeah. Feeling the fire. I often, whenever I'm guiding a practices, I invite people to bring a hand somewhere they can feel the heat of their own body and be like, that's your fire. That's the combustion mm. at the heart of every cell in your body, radiating the light of the sun back out through your flesh. And then the water, the like our tears yeah. and our grief and our all the waters of our bodies coursing through the riverbeds of our veins and the deep bedrock earth of our bones. It's like, can you feel this and that you're not separate from that out there, yes. what seems like out there? So I wish that more people had access to that felt sense of being in that relations, of all the in those relations. And then with all of that, I think it often requires or at least asks for slowness. 
So that brings us back to the slowing down. And like I said, I think <laughs> astrology is a great um, path into slowing down. For me, I also yes. spend a lot of time sitting with rocks, holding rocks in my hands, because I think sitting with stones, you know, many of which are, yeah, we've all got our rocks in our hands. <laughs> I just, I always have a bowl of rocks next to me I love at it. my table. And I'm always like, I pull out like, which ones mm. do I want to hold on to mm -hmm. for this conversation? Yeah. Anyway. Well, and those rocks, many of them are millions, if not billions of years old, exactly. which brings us into contact with something that we can't really even conceive of at the scale of our little human bodies. It's like, what is billions of years like it, and you've been here you here in my hand have been here for billions of years yes and so it just invites a different relationship to time when i'm sitting mm -hmm. with rocks um there are of course other practices people can go for a walk they can sit with a tree they can mm -hmm. observe their breath they can whatever it is that invites that slowness that creates just enough space to start to feel into that embodied felt sense of relation. That's what I, mm. that's what I wish more people had access to. And you know, what I spend a lot of my time supporting Trying people in accessing yeah. so that there are more people who have access to, to those resources. What a gift, Michael. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I really, I'm like, I want that for everyone too. Mm -hmm. So we've sprinkled it. We're spreading it. Mm. And you know, the last question I have top culture. is, well, we are going to do top culture and I hope you're ready for I'm it. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> the last thing I was going to ask you is actually, you know, if there's any guidance you have for doing witchy work while also in your own healing mm. path or in your own healing journey. Um, this one is very present for me because mm -hmm. I've just been in, in a cycle of like learning a lot of new things about myself. Mm -hmm. Um and I'm in a position where I'm like, oh, people, you know, if I say something, people might listen. Or if I if I post something, people might take it very seriously. And how do I do that knowing that my, the filter through which this is coming might be damaged, yeah. might be healing, might be ruptured, mm -hmm. might be, right, transforming. Um, so I found some tools, but I'm curious if there's anything you want to offer for folks as they're navigating. Adrian, I am right there with you in certain ways. I am. Mm. I'm also, I've been going through a grieving process the mm. last few months and having similar questions of like, every time I sit down with a client, it's like, I'm falling apart. Yes. <laughs> what can I offer you? And so it's really brought me mm. deep into my understanding of what even do I think healing is. Mm. And a couple of things I think about healing is that I rarely think that healing has an end point. Mm -hmm. um, there's a postmodern dance pioneer named Anna Halprin, who really um, inspired this way of thinking for me that she distinguished mm. between healing and a cure. And the cure was like, it's done. But healing is nonlinear. It's mm -hmm. cyclical. There will, there will be things from like childhood trauma or whatever that feels like, oh, I've worked through that. I've gotten past that. And guess what? It's going to come up again, probably. And so then <laughs> what is healing? <laughs> and I mm -hmm. think that right now, the kind of two ways that I think about healing is that healing is rather than trying to make the wounds go away or as yeah. if they had never happened, which is not possible, it's about coming into a different relationship with the wound. What does it mean mm -hmm. to live well with our wounds? And if that's what healing means, then we can show up and be with others while being with our own wounds. We don't need okay. our wounds to go away or to not be, to use your language, we don't need to be not damaged in order right. to be able to show up with other people. The question that I would sit with is, how can I be well with my wound and with you? Which then yeah. brings me to the other kind of main thing I think about healing, which is which I learned from Dory Midnight, which is basically that I think of healing as synonymous with connection that so mm, much of, of our suffering and our dis-ease comes from our disconnection from ourselves, from our bodies, from one another, from the earth, from our ancestors, from our traditions. And so wherever we can cultivate connection, that is healing. And so even in my brokenness, even in my grief, even in my wounds, mm. to be able to show up with someone and to cultivate connection with one another 
um, as, um, it's a weird word, but like as equals, like I'm not, I'm not here to heal you. We are in our healing together and we're both bringing what we can bring and I can bring these practices and these traditions and these skills that I've developed over decades. I can bring that and share that with you. And guess what? You're bringing something to share with me too. And we are healing together, which, you know, is something that the healing justice lineage teaches us that our personal healing and liberation is never separate from collective healing and liberation that we actually have to heal together. So if we wait to be be Mm -hmm. fully healed, whatever that means, before we support others, we're actually compromising the work of collective healing and liberation. And so I think we just have to show up where we are and with our wounds, knowing that part of healing our wounds is an ongoing cyclical process of being in a relationship to those wounds, I think. That's right. Does that make sense? I think so. It made sense to me. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it makes lots of sense to me. So I can't I can't vouch for everyone else, but I'm like, it's resonating over here. Mm. Um <sighs> okay. I'm feeling very good and you know, like very satisfied mm. in the conversation, which is one of my favorite feelings. Um and yeah, I want to ask you top culture, right? So like are there is there a show that you've been watching or music you've been listening to? Yeah, or something in the culture that you're just like, oh, y'all need to know about this. Yeah. I actually have a few things, but I'll be quick about it. Um Ooh. this year during 2023, I did a rewatch of both Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Battlestar Galactica. And those are probably my two favorite <laughs> pieces of sci-fi television. And it was really satisfying to revisit both of them. Um, so just like if people are out there and they're sci-fi folks or speculative fiction folks and they haven't engaged with either of those, these are like, yeah. you know, um, archival texts at this point. Like we, But they're, they really hold up in really great ways for me. Um, I'm really excited to hear that. My favorite new show this year, one of my favorite new shows, is I am loving Padma Lakshmi's show, Taste the Nation. Everything that the American cuisine is today is because all these different people and different cultures contributed to it. Mm, mm, mm. Oh my God. It is extraordinary food television. It's about telling the story of American cuisine through immigrant experiences. And so Uh each episode, she focuses on a different immigrant community. And in the process, she's holding space for stories of this country that are rooted in diversity and immigration and indigenous cultures without shying away from things like talking about colonization and racism and slavery and sexism and assimilation. And so it's like, really satisfying food television with a smart sociological, political, cultural critique as part of it. Um, And the episodes aren't very long. I watch it on Hulu. I don't know if it's streaming other places, but that's where I watch it is on Hulu. But then maybe my top, top (laughs) culture right now is going to drag and burlesque and strip shows here in Columbus, Ohio, which have always brought me immense joy. And especially as I'm moving through some grief, like tapping into like what brings me joy is like being surrounded by queer folks doing their art and taking their clothes off and really celebrating um, a whole range of what we were describing earlier of becoming more yes. than we were told we could be. Yes. And so, especially in this moment where there's such intense legislative assault on LGBTQ people and culture and specifically like drag bands going into effect in multiple States around the country, my mm-hmm. encouragement would be for folks to get out there and to support their local drag performers and to, in whatever ways feel safe in the ongoing COVID pandemic, however yes. you can, whatever ways it feels like you can in, engage with and support the performers and artists in your community. That's my top, top mm. culture. And then I if you need that. a like new show to watch, also Taste the Nation and Battlestar I and Deep Space Nine. That. What about you? Do you have top culture right now? I always have top culture. You know, I'm very like, I feel very much like a cultural worker mm. and that I've shifted how I even am approaching all of it. You know, I'm just like, oh, how is change happening? in this realm, in that realm, on this front line, or not happening, mm-hmm. right? I get very curious about it all. So two things, I've been listening to 
um, Cleo Soul just dropped a new album mm. called Heaven that is a vibe. Like it's really beautiful to just put on and let it wash over you. Running into him every other week, getting closer every time you both speak. Say there's a mutual connection, hoping that he just don't want to creep. Thinking about him on the daily. And then there's this singer named Madison Ryan Ward, and she has this outstanding lush textural voice it's just like really beautiful to listen to and i think she's a christian singer mm. so her, her songs kind of they feel like pop um and they feel like artifacts of faith but in a way that doesn't feel like excluding mm. like it feels like it's i'm like oh you're singing about a feeling that feels very familiar to me even though i don't necessarily assign it to like a one holy being but like the way i feel um my relationship to God through all things. Mm. So anyway, it's been really beautiful healing music for me. I praise him in the darkest night. I praise him at the highest oh, oh, And then, you know, we haven't done a whole special about this or, or anything. I think we are, at, when you said Battlestar Galactica, I'm pretty sure we're going to do um, a whole top culture episode just on Battlestar Galactica uh-huh. because we've been we both Autumn and I have rewatched this this year mm. and it's one of our favorites. Um, and I'm in season four, like three episodes away from the very last episode, which is one of my very favorite things. So I'm like, um, but the thing I we haven't talked about that much, I don't think, is the Renaissance tour. Mm-hmm. So I went to see Beyonce three uh. times this summer uh. and. I'm having to really work with myself and and like really ground myself in enoughness because I'm like, you got to go three times to this tour that like a, most of the world did not get to see at all. Like, let that be enough because there's still shows. <laughs> I'm like, but she's in Houston. She's going to be in Houston. I got to go. And I'm like trying to relax myself and just be like, you literally don't have to go to Houston let the people in Houston have her in Houston, let the people in New Orleans have her in mm-hmm. New Orleans. Um, but what she is doing in the show feels very much like casting a spell mm-hmm. for queer and trans liberation and safety mm. and freedom to be who we are. Um, and it feels so important to me as a political act to say, to put out this album at mm-hmm. all, right? To be like, this is the direction we're going to go in. And then to do it in a way that really deeply honors queer and trans creators um, historically and present day and then uplift us as dancers, uplift us as background singers, uplift the DJs, like uplift the audience. Mm. And, you know, she said, you are the visuals. Like we, everyone who comes to the show are the visuals. And so it just becomes this like love fest from start to finish as of an experience. So, you know, I think by the time people hear this, it'll be past renaissance season but it's just i i'm the top culture it's both the show but i'm also pointing to like the feeling mm-hmm. of being like oh she opens this portal and i i love the world that's on the other side of that portal mm-hmm. and it feels like one that i'm also pointing towards i wanna house you make it take my name i'm gonna spouse you The top culture is very top. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I want to read you a poem. Please. As our final act. It's called Still of It. And it feels like it's about our dance with astrology mm. and wonder mm. and things that I think are related to you. I am still of it. This world of sorrows. I trace the lines back from my fingertips to my heart. The feelings all start with distinction, such unique purpose only to pool and to pulse together. I want to unutter certain passions in my cellular structure. I taste on my tongue, her absent kiss, the three dead names I always called him, the wet hitch of goodbye as that failed father enters his prison, the acidic bite in Detroit gasping as hands tighten at her neck 
and they bruise her soil, and the sharp, raging bitter of Gaza. My God, some God, somebody. Can I blame it on the moon? She thinks we are hers because we are water with her ink on our spines. Can I blame it on Mercury? Patterning fuckery in this, is this envy or legacy, all this human catastrophe? Can I recall the prophet who spoke of joy and sorrow, carving out spaces from each other's bodies? Why don't we find out there is no place outside ourselves to put this daunting sorrow? While we breathe, we are still of it. What is the science for this bent over grief, crying us to sleep in this solitary cosmos? Can I still wonder, feel wonder, when I am still of it? When my breath stops, flood me with joy. I feel room for oceans here in my veins. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome, my love. Thank you so much for this miraculous time that you offered mm. and your teaching here today. And I'm so excited for the keynote you're about to give and uh-huh. the wisdom that is pouring through you, um, free-flowing through you into the world. Thank you so mm, much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And thank you for those words of there is no space outside of ourselves to put this sorrow. It feels like something I'm going to go back and read yeah. a few more times. <laughs> That's, you know, I, I really am grateful to, I'm grateful that the way that my work in the world moves is so often through words because mm-hmm. it does help to be able to be like, oh, I can remember that. Like I can go back mm-hmm. and I can grab that one again. <laughs> shake these bones, shake these bones, Ola. shake these bones, shake these bones, Ola. shake these bones, shake these bones. Ola. Thank you everyone for listening to our show. We are so grateful for each and every one of you. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but the fact that you're tuning into this witchy magic feels like it compounds the wisdom. So thank you. We are on Instagram at End of the World PC. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. Another incredibly helpful thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is write a review on Apple Podcasts or if you are an iPhone person or anywhere else you can leave reviews if you're anywhere else. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the incomparable Zach Rosen. Music for today's show comes from Tunde Alanaran, Mother Cyborg, and the Binksers. Bless y'all. Cast a spell. Mm-hmm. Shake, 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 sh